Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Hadley Heath Manning, Director of Policy for Independent Women's Forum and your host for today's Working for Women podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with our guest, Sally Pipes, who is president of Pacific Research Institute and the Thomas W. Smith Fellow for Healthcare Policy. Sally is a uh, very widely published expert on health policy issues, um, someone I look up to a lot, and she's recently written a column for Forbes on some changes, some reforms at the state level in Iowa. So thank you so much, Sally, for joining me today and being willing to discuss these latest developments. Well, thank you, Hadley, for having me on, and I'm a great admirer of you and your work. And so keep up the big fight. Oh, well, thank you. I remember when I was just getting started um, sort of covering health policy, Sally sent me a copy of one of her books in the mail, and that meant so much to me. I thought, oh, gosh, Sally Pipes knows who I am. <laughs> that was a big deal for me. So um, anyway, oh. I, 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 I do want to get into uh, to this topic about Iowa because I do think it's relevant um, not just to Iowans, but really to the entire nation. So maybe just as an update, um, can you explain to our listeners what's been going on there um, what is this new law that Governor Reynolds has just signed, and, and what does it have to do with health insurance or health policy? Well, yes, um, Governor uh, Kim Reynolds of Iowa signed a law earlier this month that really is taking advantage of a major loophole in Obamacare. Um, I wonder if Mr. Obama is sitting thinking, I, I should have taken care of this. But this um, new legislation is based on um, an effort that um, has been in effect in Tennessee. So in Iowa now, any Iowan can enroll in a health benefit plan. And that's the keyword. It's a health benefit plan, not a health insurance plan. Because if you had insurance in the name, then the law would be subject to uh, the essential health benefits and many of the mandates under Obamacare. But if you say health benefit plan, it doesn't. And um, this health benefit plan is sponsored by the Iowa Farm Bureau. And because of this legal technicality, these, these um um, plans are not subject to the premium inflating regulations that all other um, uh, exchanges are. And so um, the Iowa Farm Bureau has teamed up with uh, Wellmark Blue Cross Blue Shield to allow any Iowan can sign up on one of these plans. They don't have to be a farmer to become become um, to become a, to belong to join. So I think it's very exciting. It it is um, you know helping to reduce the very expensive. Uh, high cost premiums that many people in Iowa and other states have uh, faced, um, to, particularly in um, in Iowa, the um, this year there was only one exchange, one insurer in the exchange in Iowa, and that the in premium increase there was 57 percent, um, so very very high and not a lot of choice. So this gives people in Iowa choices um, for them to get coverage that suits their needs and those of their families. You know, I think people hear a lot of different things about Obamacare, especially as it relates to premiums. You know, people have their own experience for one thing, and a lot of people have employer-sponsored health plans. But for those people who buy insurance on their own, you know, on the one hand, we do hear about these just incredible premium hikes, whether it's 57% in one state or I think overall premiums have increased 105% according to HHS data in those healthcare.gov states um, over the course of just a few years. And that's that's pretty um, drastic. That's pretty terrible for the pocketbooks of many Americans. But then on the other hand, 
You know, the Washington Post was talking recently in an editorial piece about how Obamacare has really been very successful. They cited $89 a month, the sort of the average that people pay. And of course, they're talking about after premium subsidies. So Sally, can you explain a little bit about what's actually been going on um, with respect to insurance premiums and why, how actually some of the provisions in the ACA or Obamacare have contributed to those higher costs, at least on the unsubsidized front? Yes. I mean, Hadley, you were talking about the people who get subsidies, people earning up to 400% of the federal poverty level on the exchange can get a subsidy. But for, for you know, the average um, person who, you know, buys on the exchange who doesn't get a subsidy, the average premium increase this year was about 32%. Last year, it was about 26%. The reason that those premiums are so high and the deductibles are very high is the reason is because people um, the all of these plans have to have these 10 essential health um, benefit mandates that are part of of Obamacare they add well heritage said they add nine percent to the cost of a premium the today e-health says they add 47 percent to a premium but what happened was that a lot of young healthy people people like you Hadley the young invincibles the people um, between 18 and 34 that the administration under Obama had predicted would be buying um, coverage on the exchanges when they saw the cost of plans they said we're not going to buy one of those plans they had thought that they needed um, 40% of these young people to buy coverage in order to help subsidize the people who are older and sicker and have chronic conditions. But in fact, the young people only signed up at 26%. And so insurers had to raise their premiums in order to cover, to meet the claims of these people who are older and sicker and using a lot more uh, insurance. And so, you know, 45% of the people of the 27 million uninsured people today said the main reason that they didn't buy coverage was because it's too expensive. So we need to, you know, have like the Iowa health benefit plan will be very helpful to people that want a certain type of plan. Uh, President Trump um, executive order of October 12, allowing um, short-term plans. The rule is just going through right now, but you know, people on the left say these are, these are junk, insurance, their crappy insurance. But as Alex Azar, the new secretary of HHS, and I would say, you know, people need different types of people need different types of coverage. And for the young people, these short term plans, people who are between jobs don't and have lost their employer based coverage or haven't started with employer based coverage. These are the kinds of options that people in America need in order to, you know, get coverage that suits them. Right. And and at the systemic level, I, I want to dig into one specific point that I hear often from the left. And, and I will say, generally speaking, I think the Washington Post editorial board and others who try to um, present the idea that the ACA has been very successful, I think that that's actually a minority of voices today. I think most people, even including many people on the left, would say, well, you know, we really need a single payer. And I know that probably bugs you because I know Sally's originally from Canada. <laughs> but I will say at least there's an admission, a tacit admission maybe in that um, suggestion that what we have today isn't working very well. And, and I will say what's been the result um, domestically in the United States is sort of a blame game. And I do hear a lot of people on the left saying, well, yes, premiums are higher, but, you know, the Trump administration has contributed to this through, you know, loosening regulations or repealing the individual mandate. So I want to hear your perspective specifically on the health benefit plan idea, because I know what the, the critics will say. They will say by offering people this escape hatch from the ACA and from the many mandates that apply to most insurance plans, 
that this is going to somehow exacerbate this problem of, of, you know, not having enough young, healthy people buying into the ACA plans. Do you think that's really a concern or a risk associated with giving people essentially more freedom? Well, I mean, the, the point is that only this um, year, 2018, only 11.8 million people have joined the exchanges. Um, the previous year it was, what, 12.2, and the year before that, 12.7 million. We have ter- Obamacare has turned the whole American health care system upside down for a very small uh, number of people. And about 87% of the people of those 11 to 12 million are people who are receiving subsidies to help help with their care. And so, I mean, I think, you know, what would have been a far better um, idea would have, um, one of the things that I pushed and certainly um, Paul Ryan and former HHS uh, Secretary uh, Tom Price was to, for the feds to give the states money in order to set up high risk schools so that those people who have chronic conditions and, and are in the individual market, not in the employer based market, this would help those people get affordable coverage and take the pressure off young people who are having to subsidize these these older and sicker people. This would be the the, the way to go. Obamacare has not been a success. Uh, when Trump was running for uh, president, you know, he promised the American people that their administration, he and the administration, Congress would repeal and replace Obamacare. As you know, it was they weren't able to do it. Um, and I don't know that it's going to happen now because everybody's into midterm elections. But I think the American people want repeal and replace. They didn't like these very high premiums, as we saw how few people signed up. Deductibles were very high. People were very upset by the narrow networks of doctors and hospitals. Everybody thought if I sign up on the exchange for a silver or gold plan, I will be able to keep my doctor. In many cases, their doctor was not um, taking this coverage, and that was very upsetting to people. So Obamacare um, did not bring about universal coverage. It did not bend the cost curve down. The cost of healthcare in this country, which is about 18% of gross domestic product, is continuing to go up. And so, you know, we need to give people um, choices. And as you mentioned, Hadley, I, I'm from Canada. I grew up under single payer. The siren call for single payer healthcare, Bernie Sanders, Medicare for all. Now we're seeing uh, Medicare extra from the Center for American Progress. We just saw a new um, bill come out from two senators, Merkley and Murphy, last week for uh, Choose Medicare, which is sort of putting a public option um, into into the mix so that people, individuals, and those with employer coverage would be able to buy um, Medicare coverage. I think this will be a disaster for people because doctors, you know, a lot of doctors don't even take Medicare coverage for people who are seniors already. This is going to really um, be a disaster. And it's also you know, really, a, it's a stepping stone. These new bills are stepping stones to single payer, which I think the Democrats kind of gave up on bipartisan, um, you know, bringing back um, cost sharing reduction subsidies and reinsurance, which were never uh, appropriate. The funds were never appropriated. I think now um, they're moving on to let's let the government take over the whole system. And that would be so terrible for this country because Canada, which has a single payer system, which I grew up under, does not allow any private coverage for medically necessary procedures. In fact, Canada is one, only one of nine developed countries that actually bans any private coverage. All of these plans, the Bernie Sanders, Medicare for All, Healthy California, uh, Healthy California, they really ban private coverage. And we'll see the same things. People will be on long waiting lists. Care will be rationed. And, of course, taxes will go up 
doctors will retire early from medicine, this is this would be a disaster for American health care. And uh, Sally's a, a really great uh, spokesperson and, and a good articulator of, of why that's the case. Uh, I'm afraid too many Americans really just don't have uh, certainly don't have the personal experience with single payer and, you know, hear um, some rumors that it's a nice egalitarian way to make sure that everyone has access to health care services when, you know, as you just explained to the contrary, people have more restricted access in a lot of cases. And it seems to me what's happening in Iowa is truly the opposite. Um, it is an expansion of the private um, options for health insurance or health benefits, we might have to say, for, for legal purposes. Um, but it is an expansion of the different ways that people could pay for and access health care services. So my final question, Sally, is do you think that in the absence of you know major federal legislative change, and we know you mentioned this is an election year, so sometimes that can be a heavy lift, but in the absence of federal action, do you think that other states will follow suit and will do you know, similar reforms as what we've seen in Iowa to allow their constituencies to have greater choices as well? I think so. I mean, Idaho um, tried um, uh, to um, uh, um, sell uh, short-term skinny plans, but they called them insurance plans, and of course that did not fit um, with the administration because if you had an insurance plan, it still had to have essential health benefits. I think now Idaho is going to look at the um, at the Farm Bureau plan. Tennessee has it. I think a lot of the red states that are really wrestling uh, with few choices, very expensive premiums for their um, constituents, I think we're going to see a lot of, of, of the states move this way. And I think it's, it's another way to sort of Ram, um, take Obamacare down. We've got rid of the individual mandate starting next year. Um, the short-term skinny plans should be coming into effect this fall. Um, the association health plans where small self-employed people, small businesses can band together and get coverage. So I think all of these things are really um, terrific ways to end the, the stranglehold that Obamacare has on premiums, deductibles, and really give people the, the um, opportunity to get the kind of coverage that they need. And, close to 170 million Americans, of course, have employer-based coverage, but where we're really looking at is how do we help those people in the individual market that need coverage and want affordable coverage without all of these expensive mandates. Right, and one of the great things about a federalist system like the one we have in the U.S. is that we can all watch what happens in Iowa and other states that might experiment with expanding consumer freedom and see what happens. And maybe none of the scary things will come to pass. Maybe, in fact, they'll provide a more affordable option to people who have, uh, you know, that particular set of, of preferences in the in the market for health plans. So, uh, Sally, just to wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they might follow more of your work or learn more about um, the, the column you wrote about Iowa, but I know you write about many, many other health policy issues. So please give us some, some resources uh, where we might follow you. Yes. Yes, happily, as you know, no rest for the weary. Um, our um, website is www.pacificresearch.org. My new book, Out from Encounter, The False Promise of Single-Payer Healthcare, is available on Amazon. And um, I write, as you say, a bi-weekly column for Forbes.com, Investors Business Daily, and uh, a Beltway Confidential blog every two weeks for um, um, Washington Examiner. So um, our website has all of that. And um, it's been truly um, wonderful talking to you. And keep up, keep up the fight. We need more people like us educating Americans on why uh, single-payer, why Obamacare is not in the best interest of their long-term health. 
Oh, you're right. There is no rest <laughs> for those of us who have to, <laughs> who have to defend against uh, against bad policies. So thank you so much. Uh, Sally Pipes has been our guest today. She's president of Pacific Research Institute and the Thomas W. Smith Fellow for Healthcare Policy. And I'm Hadley Heath Manning, director of policy for Independent Women's Forum. Our website is iwf.org, where you can find this podcast and much more content related to health policy and many of the issues that we cover. We like to say all issues are women's issues. And that'll be it for today's Working for Women podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.